We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for June 26, 2017. And today we're going to be doing pretty much a dedicated study on the subject of epigenetics and generational curses. And also basically segueing into a health study because, and we're going to get to what epigenetics means, but it's very, very multifaceted what we're going to be talking about today. There's a huge spiritual component. There's a huge physical component. And it has a lot to do with how our genes are expressed. And um, <clears throat> this is fascinating stuff. And it totally confirms the Bible. This is one of, I've never done a study like this ever. This is not like a retread study. Well, I know I've done like 900 studies on Islam and Catholicism and, the, and things of this nature. Uh, this is really new ground we're going to be covering today. And this has huge spiritual and physical implications on every single one of us. This applies to everybody. That Nobody can get away from this. And just an amazing thing we're going to be looking at today here. So the first little video I'm going to be playing here is entitled, Science Confirms Bible on Generational Curses. This is an excerpt from the Conquer series, The Battle Plan for Purity. What science has now learned, and it's so fascinating, is that the choices we make in life will alter how our genes are expressed. This is big. People need to really pay, sit up and pay attention to this. Because science is now confirming scripture. In lectures that I do, I often ask the audience, which is more scientifically accurate, the Bible? This is Dr. Tim Jennings, he's an MD. Or Charles Darwin. Well, guess what? It's the Bible. Darwin hypothesized that it was mutation over millions of years that caused his finches to have different beaks. Science has actually now proved it's epigenetic modification. Epigenetic, the, the instructions sitting above the genome, telling the genes how to express themselves, which are changed based on experience. What we go through... In so, the... the the genome or our DNA is like the hardware. It's like the hard drive of a computer, whereas the epigenetics are like the software that control the hardware. Okay, the epigenetics tell our genes to either turn on, turn off, or essentially turn on a little bit, or turn on a lot, or turn you know they to regulate them. And epigenetics is is how our genome is expressed in our body. It determines how we age. It determines just Basically, everything that goes on in our bodies is determined through this. The foods that we use, the choices we make, uh, the environment in which we live will actually alter the genes in, in telling which genes to turn on and which genes to turn off. What we know about genetics and addiction is that behaviors, sensations, input into the brain will use the DNA to change. This is a Dr. Jez Montgomery, MD, psychiatrist and addictionologist. How the cell responds. And basically what happens is that genes are turned off or turned on based on what that response is. While the DNA doesn't change, the expression does. So the ability to be aware of environment, the ability to respond may be genetically coded but when we begin changing it, the term we use is epigenetically, 
and we change how that's expressed. We change the enzymes that are made, we change the response of the cell, and that change becomes a part of the genetic expression. So in other words, whatever we're putting in our body, whatever decisions we're making, whatever even um, positive or negative moods that we're in, all have effects on our genes on a almost moment-by-moment -moment basis. I mean, <laughs> it's just colossal, this type of information, actually come to this realization. Uh, it, it's huge. Okay, so sex addiction. They're going through sex addiction now. Um, and I, evidently, I think this is... They've got a whole, like, five DVD series on this that gets into this. Like, what basically pornography does, I believe. And different things that you expose yourself to. And how that turns genes on and turns genes off. I mean, it is, it is unbelievable what is going on in the body just when you expose yourself to pornography. And, um, <laughs> it's just, it's, this is so mind boggling. They're going through different things, listing different things. Like they're cyber sex and it's, it's kind of going through how this would affect the genome. And I mean, it's a little bit. They're not really defining it here. I think it's probably defined in the DVD series. And I have nothing, I have no vested interest in the DVD series or whatever. Um, it's theconquerseries.com if you're interested. And, um, but evidently they get into all of, of how you overcome these things. But it's also doing it from a scientific standpoint. It's not just doing it from... Um, one particular angle there i believe they're approaching it multifaceted it doesn't happen generally with one exposure to pornography it's the repetitive volitional exposure to pornography um, that will cause this type of uh, gene expression to happen such that you alter your pleasure circuits and you alter the inhibitory feedback which would tell you not to do this and that's epigenetic modification changing your brain function so we have kids now the thing is is that and I don't know if they get into this in this addiction series, but they're also, and I hope they do, I don't know if they are, but it's one thing to talk about epigenetics and how habitual exposure to pornography would affect certain pleasure sensors in the brain and, and inhibitory responses and things of this nature, but it's also another thing to talk about what demons are you letting in when you expose yourself to that? Because that is also a gigantic part of it. And I'm not 100% sure how far they get into that because this seems to me very, very scientific and clinical, the way that they're approaching this. And I think that's great, but I hope they get into the other aspect because that is as much of a component as anything because the doors you're leaving open. But, of course, they are getting into generational curses, which I really do believe purely has a demonic curse-like component, but it's also affecting you on a physical level and a spiritual level. And now this is science confirming all of this. We not only give the sequence to our kids, we will pass along the instructions two and three generations down. And so if we become addicted to stuff, we can pass along to our kids gene constellations that make them more vulnerable to addictions. So that would include like alcoholism or, um, uh, well, 
like if you were habitually viewing pornography or if you were like, you know, just an alcoholic or if you smoked, you can pass that epigenetic trait to your children and they can have a predisposition toward it as well. Now, also you can pass it to them from a spiritual standpoint. The sins of the forefathers are carried to the third and fourth generation where you're actually passing literal demons and devils to them where they're going to have a predisposition. So I think it's a, a multifold thing. I think it's it, there's a genetic component defined through this epigenetics, the software that's controlling our genome. And then there's also this, this other component where you're getting, your, it's like the adopted demon program where you're actually getting these curses from a spiritual level and these, these same demons that are being passed down. And so, I don't, again, I don't know how much they get into the, the, the spiritual part, but, man, this is amazing stuff. Conversely, if we get victories over stuff, we can actually pass on advantages. There's good animal evidence that that change in expression can be transmitted to the offspring. Those enzymes, those mechanisms, those genes that are turned off may also be turned off in the next generation. So we can pass along both positive things in our life and or negative depending on the choices we make in life. And so the Bible is actually more scientifically accurate than Charles Darwin because we do pass down to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren the experiences that we go through in life based on the epigenetic modifications. They will get not only our genes but the instructions on how those genes are expressed. Many adolescents will say things like, hey, it's my body, I can do what I want. Only if you're never going to have kids. If you're going to have kids, it's not only your body, it's your kids, your grandkids, and your great-grandkids' body, too, so be careful what you do with it. Don't think of it as a, as a battle you're just fighting for yourself. You're fighting for the very lineage that God gave you. And if you will break this curse, then your sons and your daughters have a better shot. These are all the MDs or PhDs, or, I mean, these are high-level guys that you're, you're hearing here. What? And your grandchildren have a better shot. My son's name is Jubilee because his dad took the courage to break the curses off of him. I want to invite you to do the very same thing for those you love. So it's the Conquer series battle plan for purity. Six DVDs set over five hours of in-depth teaching. Now, listen, I, I don't know. It seems like they kind of got a little bit of a Hebrew roots kind of bent, maybe. I, I've, I've just, I've, I, we're going to hear another um, <clears throat> longer, much longer audio on this. So, I can't say I've sit down and watched all the six DVD set, okay? But, obviously, the study of epigenetics, it is a real thing. Okay, this is not something that is made up. This is very scientific. It totally confirms the Bible. And so I would say just, you know, proceed with a grain of salt. But I, it looks like a very positive thing overall. And again, what we have to do in today's day and age is glean. You know, really, um, <clears throat> there's so much out there. There's so much information. The Bible says in Daniel, essentially, that in the end times, knowledge will increase. And many shall run to and fro seeking after knowledge and seeking after you know the word of god and these types of things and so just understand that if you do get this um i haven't vetted it or watched it but it does look like a very very positive thing here um i'm just seeing if it says anything else here before the end of it and it says it's now available the, this is pretty new because there's only 87 views on that video 
and it came out March 30th, 2017, so... I can't believe there's not more views on it. I mean, to me, this is just so exciting. Now, we're going we're, we're gonna to segue into this, and this is entitled Epigenetics, Iniquity to the Third and Fourth Generation, Family Curses. Now, there, it's, it's a guy named John Pounders, and um, he's interviewing another gentleman. And bear in mind, kind of give the guy a little bit of time. He kind of starts off a little bit slow. Um. But the information is going to confirm what we just talked about. Now, when we get done with this audio, then we're going to segue more into the health aspects, like what we're putting into our body, how that influences epigenetics, because that's also very important. Now, like, okay, if, if you're going to do something purely demonic, like view pornography, that's, that's like an eye gate type of thing where you're... or you're in a totally negative thought pattern. That's not exactly, that's not like you're eating something, okay? But it's still affecting you from an epigenetic standpoint. And that's affecting your DNA. What's getting turned on and what's getting turned off. What's down-regulating or up-regulating, okay? Um, this next audio is, is we're going to be looking at more just the spiritual component. And then we're going to get into the health component because it all ties together. And then we're going to look at, at some things at the end of what we can do on a daily basis to up-regulate reg, up ourselves. Um, we're going to be looking at it really from a spiritual and a uh, physical component. So I'm going to try to give you some practical things you can do to turn the good epigenetics on and the good gene traits on in, in these types of things. Uh, so let's go from here. So again, this is epigenetics, iniquity to the third and fourth generation of family curses. And uh, let me just, I think I've got a little bit to segue in here. In this episode, we will, we will be discussing epigenetics, which is the study of changes in organisms caused by modification of gene expression rather than alteration of the genetic code itself, and how it links with the generational curses that pass down to the third and fourth generation. Now, see, I think this is why Satan is so trying to change our genome, um, because he knows that's very hard to do. It's, it's hard to actually change our genetics. Changing our epigenetics is much easier. If he can get us to get into a negative thought pattern or negative habits like smoking or, let's say, alcoholism or drug use, um, and, and that includes pharmaceuticals, okay? I mean, any kind of habitual drug use, any kind of pharmaceutical use is not good, okay? All drugs are toxins. All drugs are poisons, and if you don't believe that, just, you know... You don't want to do it, but you take a bottle of whatever drug you got, and it's probably going to kill you or, or make you really, really sick at bare minimum. You take a bottle of a whole food supplement, and at worst, it's going to probably give you diarrhea. Okay, because you're dealing when, when you're dealing with drugs, you are dealing with controlled toxins and poisons and things of this nature. Um, so, I think that with Satan, one of the reasons vaccinations are so important and near and dear to his cold black heart is because. He can bypass the normal routes by where which we're exposed to things, okay, like eating or breathing and things of this nature, where we have built-in defensive mechanisms and things to break down. If he can get it straight into our bloodstream, tainted DNA, DNA, or let's say even worse, injectable nanorobots, which they have the technology, um, you know, all this foreign DNA, DNA from aborted babies, DNA from diseased green Reese monkey kidneys, like we had talked about last time. I mean, these are all things that they culture vaccinations off. 
if you get enough of that into us, it's changing us on a genetic level. It's, it's actually changing our DNA template, okay, which is even, now you're dealing with changing the hardware of our body, whereas opposed to the epigenetics of the software of the body. So I think that's why vaccinations are so important from a satanic standpoint. Um, so let me read this last line again. Epigenetics, which is the study of changes in organisms caused by modification of gene expression rather than the alteration of the genetic code itself and how it links with the generational curses that pass down to the third and fourth generations. Iniquity and sin have two different meanings um, and words in scripture. Tonight's guest has been studying this and has some very compelling um, studies. So his, this is what we're going to be listening to now. This is going to be about... Oh, this is going to be about 43 minutes, 42 minutes, this particular clip. This is the longest clip I will be playing today, but I really felt it's important. I've never covered this territory before, that we have a really good thorough study on this because um, obviously this is a super important subject. So let's go ahead and roll this. I'm going to go ahead and welcome Nate to the show. Nate, welcome to the show. If you would, just kind of tell people a little bit about yourself and why you decided to really look into this research because I remember when you, I don't always answer my phone when people call and I don't always answer every message back, not because I don't want to, but because I don't have the time for it. But when you called, something led me to call you back. So I did call you back and we had a conversation for about an hour and it was very fascinating, the kind of research that you put together for this stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you've done it. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into your research. Sure. Thanks, John. Hi, John. Hi, Jake. Thank you so much. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I guess my, my story is a very typical one of the um, big majority of us who grow up in the church. Um, It was a pretty normal family uh, all the way around. Hang on, guys, I lost a picture. There we go, I'm back, thanks. Um, um, I was um, uh, greatly desired by my parents who were a godly couple. Uh, they waited six years for me. I was welcomed into the home. Pretty normal life uh, came to faith when I was uh, seven years old. I think meaning they were waiting to have maybe a son for six years is what I think is what he's implying there. And um, did all the typical things up through high school, uh, went to Bible college for one year, and then off to college, uh, married, uh, military service, back to school uh, and started a career. Um, uh, we, had, we had difficulty uh, having kids. We uh, adopted a little girl at five days of age, and then we had a surprise with our son two and a half years later. Um, what no one knew until age 60 was that there was a wall, <laughs> there was a secret, and I had been driving down the road with the hard right oversteer, and when I let up or relaxed on the wheel, 
the vehicle went left and in the ditch many a time. You're now, I think what he's in reference to, and he'll probably define it here, is, is he had this epigenetic predisposition that hadn't been addressed, that he was able to keep in check by maybe living a certain way or maybe just through, I don't know, self-discipline. And once he kind of let up on the gas, then and this is all figuratively, then the car went in the ditch. His car, meaning his life, I believe, is what he's in reference to. Talking about, you're talking about your, just your moral compass, basically, right? You're not talking about literally a car, you're talking about your moral compass. Correct. Yes. And um, I, I ultimately uh, was facing a divorce, another crisis in my business, and that was not the first time I'd had a business crisis. And um, um, there was a, um, uh, a long journey back that started in 2001. Um, my dad got sick and we almost lost him. And there was a, a, I have a vivid memory of that February on the, at the end of the bed, alone in the house, and just crying out to God. Um, I finally said, Lord, do whatever it takes. I want to be free. And I heard a quiet voice that said, okay. What no one knew was that while I had come to faith in Christ at age seven, at about age eight, uh, a neighbor boy who had much older brothers had exposed me to porn and life turned into uh, a fantasy world. And now that I look back, I mean, I was incredibly young to go down that path, but I, I told no one until I was 60. And in that journey that began back in 2001, when my dad got sick, um, ultimately came to 2000. Uh, six, and I went through a program similar to Celebrate Recovery. Uh, it was called um, Ultimate Journey, based out of Des Moines, and um, that was um, there were some really important steps that had occurred in the course of that year-long program. At the end of that, I realized that there were these issues that I was dealing with that were related to the alcoholism that was in the family. Uh, we did not have alcohol in the house, um, but my grandfather, Elmer, uh, was an alcoholic and um, my dad uh, never drank, it was not allowed. Um, and when my dad came to faith at age 23, um, for him, that's when life started. And I, I have essentially no stories of my dad before age 23. 
in 2007, at the end of the program, I realized that there were, there were struggles and there were patterns that were classic right out of the, the literature on kids and grandkids of alcoholics. And there was this realization that there had to be some reason for the left turn uh, that I was constantly seemingly fighting. And on uh, one morning, my devotions, uh, my devotional reading was um, in the Psalms, and it was Psalms 32. And there in that Psalm, David is confessing his transgression and his sin and his iniquity and laying it out before God. And I recognized that David was quoting from one of the generational curse passages. Uh, the first one is Exodus 20, and the second one is Exodus 34. And it's, uh, it's one of those great, great passages. Um, in the NIV, it reads this way. Um, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, and maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And I was... Okay, now I'm not endorsing NIV, um, but... For the sake of this, we're we're just going after the information here, what we're talking about here. So just kind of bear that in mind. Doing my devotions on my computer screen, and I had my NIV open up there in a window, but I also had my King James and my Strong's Concordance open, and they were all linked. And I had been in this generational pattern study for probably three months at that point in time. And that morning, as I looked between my NIV and then my King James, um, the, in the King James, it says it's the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And their phrasing up above was, God forgives iniquity, transgression, and sins. And I looked over at my concordance and was expecting to see the sins of the fathers, kacha, uh, I'm going to butcher the, the Hebrew there. And I, when I looked, it was a vone, which the King James is a little more consistent in translating that as iniquity. And at first, that was puzzling because I, I hadn't actually caught that nuance of the differences. And I quickly looked at all the passages on the generational pattern. And sure enough, every single one of them, it was the avon of the fathers. And it was not the sins of the fathers or kacha. And that started <laughs> this journey that's now, um, this is the ninth year that I'm still unpacking um, sin, transgression, and especially iniquity. And so, in other words, ferreting out the difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity um, 
from a biblical standpoint is what he's talking about. I, I finally, the way I would, the way I would now explain that, and, and again, I'm, I'm a layman just on his own journey uh, with God. If you picture a world-class archer stepping up to the line and he, he, and it's, it's one smooth motion to take the arrow out of the quiver. He's setting the bow, he's breathing, he releases the arrow and he hits the bullseye. And he does that time and time and time again. Once in a while, he just misses the bullseye. That's sin. It's missing the mark. Okay? But if he picks up an arrow and... I mean, the Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. So it doesn't take a lot to sin. In other words, it's just missing the mark. I mean, you have to understand, God's standard is totally different than our standards. Okay, we could think, well, it's just a white lie. Which is, yeah, in God's eyes, it's a really big deal because he's holy and he's perfect. And sin is just missing the mark. That's all it is. You know, we can just sin easily just with our thought patterns. You know, so that's what he's in reference to here. The tip is damaged and, and and this is why it's so important i believe when jesus says you pray like this you know and i don't mean repetitive rote prayers but with the lord's prayer you're always asking for god to forgive you of your trespasses your sins your iniquities these types of things as we forgive those that have sinned against us because we don't forgive others we're not going to obtain forgiveness that's why i'm so big on that and putting on the full armor of god every day you know, is another really big one I believe we need to be doing, you know, sometimes multiple times per day. The shaft is bent, and he's missing some flechettes, and he doesn't recognize that, and he sets it in the bow, and he releases it. Is he going to hit the target? No. He's got faulty equipment. It's, it's, it's something that's bent or crooked. For me as a layman, that's a, that's a good way to understand iniquity. Transgression is stepping up to the line and the guy next to me on the line, his cell phone goes off and in anger, I whip around and put an arrow through his boot. That's transgression. That was outright and intentional. So over the course of the next two months, I'm, I'm beginning to unpack that and beginning to understand the nuances of that in the scripture. I come home um, uh, one night and I flip on the television and it's Iowa Public Television. The Nova series has just started and the program is entitled the ghost in your genes. It's all about epigenetics, which is um, the, uh, the, the covering or the molecules that are on top of the DNA. And I'm a, you know, I'm a somewhat broad reader, but that was a whole new topic for me. And as they begin this discussion, one of one of the illustrations that they use is 
um, there's a protein strand um, histone and there are times when that combines with a methyl radical which is a carbon and three hydrogen and as they describe it the um, strand in essence can bite its tail or it releases its tail and before they said the words <laughs> I got it there's this incredible complex variable binary code that sits on top of the DNA and it controls gene expression and that's epigenetics it's it's the software that controls the DNA which is our hardware so this is what we're basically talking about here uh, explain it to what explain it to people like this okay you have the DNA code what is it consistent of it so is it a hardware is it a software what is what is okay. going on with the DNA code so the DNA itself the double helix is a set of pairs of uh, nucle uh, uh, um, nucleic acids so it's the AT or the CG pairs and they're always paired uh, uh, those four are paired always that way C with G a with T and that's what makes up our hardware if you will the epigenes we're now beginning to understand that's software so if you think about what happens if you do a hard boot on your phone or with your computer when that first powers up like on my system there will be a black screen and then momentarily you'll see the white characters that tell you that it's loading the BIOS. So there's a EEPROM that stores that startup little piece of software that lays down on the, on the chip. That in turn then activates a second layer of software and you'll hear your hard drive start, you know, and so it uploads off the boot drive and then your operating system then gets downloaded from, from, from your hard drive. And then finally you see in your tray or on your phone, you see your applications getting populated. So you've got, you've got multiple layers of software in your computer and you know, as a layperson following this out on the edge, you're finding in the literature this this just I mean exponentially growing uh, set of discoveries of the of the software that's on top of the DNA. So the DNA is like the hardware chip, and that's almost involatile. I mean, God has made that. So it replicates and replicates and replicates without error. Now, we obviously have, there are genetic diseases where there's a fault that's in the DNA itself, um, but that's extremely hard for that to happen. The epigenes, on the other hand, are, it's variable code. So, so this is, this variable code, 
you can basically change your genetics that you're passing on to your children through the actions. Is that what I'm getting? Is through the actions that you do, through the things you learn, you can pass this on to your children. Is that right? Yeah. What what I'm coming to understand is when you think of it in terms of scripture, iniquity, it, specifically generationally, it is not in the genetics. It's not in the DNA. It's in the software. It's in the epigene code. And there's multiple layers of that. Um, the One of the studies I... And we're, they're going to talk about this, I believe, but they're just barely scratching the surface of how complex these, this study of epigenetics is. I mean, it is unbelievably complex. We're just in the infancy right now. I mean, that's why the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Because we don't even know the half of it. None of us do. We, we, we don't have a clue how complex even our own bodies are and our own brains are. And all of the, the, the things that are going on you know, every millisecond in our bodies and how our own actions and thought patterns and what we're putting into our body are shaping that. It's just, it's so mind-blowing. I sent you a copy of that. It was from the Time magazine on the um, uh, Obercalix study in Sweden. Uh, that was one of the breakthroughs. There they found that women who conceived in the stress of a famine had granddaughters who died young. The epigenes code the environment. And so when she was conceiving her future daughter, the daughter and, and the egg that became the granddaughter got coded for famine. And so what happened when, when the granddaughter was born, there was this bent towards um, overeating. And so they had obesity issues, heart disease, diabetes, and died young. Uh, and when, when they controlled for some of the factors that related to social economic um, conditions, it was as much as 32 years younger than the population on either side that hadn't experienced the famine. So interesting. it was... Now, why it was the granddaughter and not the daughter that got coded for that, I, I don't know. But that's the way it worked out. So it's just really showing you, and that's just from a purely physical epigenetic level, how, you know, what we're doing especially if you're trying to conceive a child, can affect them. Uh, your diet at the time of conception, uh, the stressors there, what, what your nutritional status was, then, then also you get into the nutritional status of the mother while, she's, um, while the, the child is forming in her. And then afterward, if, uh, if she's breastfeeding especially, which is what, you know, the way God intended it, um, what her nutritional status was there. All of these factors factor into how the child is going to turn out. And then what do you have the, the medical, you know, society doing today? And, you know, like I even got into last time, that they're, they're going to want to try to start um, literally 
while vaccinating the mothers while pregnant and then probably at some point in the near future vaccinating the child in utero and they're trying to do everything they can do to genetically and epigenetically destroy and to defile the little ones in the womb so that they turn out uh, so that there's the lowest possible chance of them turning out to be any kind of, of good, productive person that is going to have any bent toward following God. You know, they're, they're just trying to turn out the most wicked byproduct they can turn out, by and large, for society. And this is why I, I really keep going back to the vaccination issue, why it's one of the... And then the GMO foods... And then, you know, the chlorination, the fluoridation of the water, and then all of the the, the chemtrailing that they're doing and and how that's laying down all these, you know, heavy metals and, you know, nanosized aluminum particles and and all of these other things they're doing to us. And then the EMFs, you know, they're going to bring 5G online. That's going to be just beyond horrific. I mean, the 5G alone is just unbelievable. All of this is being done by design, on purpose, to defile the human race, to ultimately wipe the human race out, to fulfill the Georgia Guidestones, to get humanity down to 500 million in perpetual balance with Mother Gaia, which is their first commandment, the Georgia Guidestones. Um, But it's never going to be enough for Satan. He'll want to get it down to zero because we're created in God's image and ultimately all the people would be wiped out. If, If Satan had his druthers, if he had his way, that's the way you know, he would have it turn out. But if he was, obviously, if he was totally in control, we'd all be wiped out anyway. You know, by the fact that anybody's living on the planet right now, we know that he's really not in control. So. It, it, was, it was one of the real breakthroughs in the epigenetic field. And for, for our, our listeners and watchers tonight, you can go to PBS and NOVA, uh, and just Google epigenetics, and they've got a whole series of clips that kind of walk through the the basic biomechanics of how of how ep- the epigene um, is functioning at the very base level. Um, in the same program, they also talk about the methyl radical because one of the ways that it functions is that it will stick just onto the C on the, the ATCG pair, so it effectively turns off the C. And so, so he's talking about how this methyl radical, I'm assuming a free radical, um, is actually turning off a base pair of the DNA that he's in reference to here. So in, in other words, that's what epigenetics does. It, it turns on or off our DNA, or it can upregulate or downregulate. It doesn't have to necessarily be an on-off switch. It can do upregulating and downregulating as well. If you think about that as the BIOS being loaded on, onto a computer chip, you've got this code that goes down on, on the DNA that's at the very base level of how the DNA builds the protein and enzyme fragments so okay so that's really interesting so basically you're saying in 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 spiritual terms god means what he says when he says he's going to pass things down to the third and fourth generation is there any proof of 
something going to the third and fourth generation and splitting? I know we, we talked about this, so I know you have an answer for it, but that's why I'm asking. But I, yeah, I really want our audience to hear this because it's really interesting to see that there's actually it actually goes to the third and fourth generation. This is not just a, a sum up number. This is like a, a direct number that's been studied and tested, right? Um, correct. And there's variations on this. Keep in mind, we're talking about um, a, a new order of magnitude of understanding. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, the complexity of creation in the human body is enormous. So one of the studies that's been done with, with uh, a particular breed of rats, um, they have um, one version in which the mothers are very active. Uh, they are touching, licking the pups. There's another version of the same breed that basically ignores the pups. So it's touching versus non-touching. And what they did in the experiment was immediately at birth, they switched the pups. So the pups that were from a licking mom, they put with a non-licking mom. They became mothers. And when they had pups, they were non-lickers, even though they had come from a, a, a mother that was a licker. They, they kept doing that cycle, and they were non-lickers, non-lickers, and lo and behold, they, when they kept it going, um, for example, in, in one case, after the, after the fourth cycle, the next set of pups reverted back to lickers, even though the, that whole intermediate string of generations had been non-lickers. That's fair. That's really interesting. That is, you know, that that just goes nurture versus nature. It's it's almost like there's a tie between the two. There there's a real, you know, definitely nurturing somebody that has this predisposition could could definitely help them in the future. Obviously, uh, in this case, it was the negative aspects of not licking and being nurturing to the pups that got passed on. Yeah, what about what about the opposite end where there's a the, the positive things, what what about the pups that went to the mother that was licking? Do you, did you hear anything about the study on that? I, I don't recall specifically reading that particular, uh, on that particular question. I mean, what they're seeing in the epigene switching is there are aspects of the epigenes where over time the, the spiked effect fades away. So it's 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 the the hope for those of us who have generational patterns is that there are uh, we're beginning to understand there are physical mechanisms by which this fades. It also okay, go ahead. Sorry, Nate. I was just yeah, going to ask you. So I've got a question. So we're talking. Uh, this is Jake. So we're talking yeah. about. Every four years, um, the iniquity passing down every four years. So how does this work you mean, exactly? Is it you mean is every it, every four generations? Every four generations. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. Every four generations. So is it basically that everyone on the planet, in a certain generation, this is happening with? Like, okay, so the people from the fifties were one generation, right? And so the next generation will be what? Like the people from the sixties, and then the next generation would be eighties. 
Yeah, I mean, this generation, generation is be, twenty to you know twenty to yeah. thirty years. I mean, there there <clears throat> there are there are patterns, <clears throat> especially when it's abnormal in in terms of the way we have been raised. So <clears throat> the um, there's a there's a lot of research that's that's coming out about the effects of what happens to us as young children and how that carries over into adult life. Um, and, and so you're saying that with this, uh, with the iniquities, that it's not passed on at the time of birth. It's behavior that's modified as a result of parenting early childhood into adulthood. I, I think the way to answer that, Jake, is it appears to be that it's both. So yeah. there's, you know, there's some there's someone who starts the chain, and then it continues. Um, part of the part of the evidence that you'd have in this would be the Minnesota uh, identical twins separated at birth study that was went on for about 60 years, where identical twins were uh, separated at birth, which was typical back in the um, 20s through the 50s. Um, and there was no contact uh, between the twins. And the researchers at the, at the University of Minnesota ultimately brought them together. Um, and they found uh, almost um, um, amusing, even bizarre kinds of behaviors. Um, Twins who had had no contact with each other, you know, had spouses of the same name. They, they named their kids the same. Uh, they bought this off-brand toothpaste from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on. Um, you know, so there, there has to be something in the wiring. You know, somehow there's, there's layers of software that have that have given us this bent. Is there any relevance to the verse where it says, as David says, "Forgive me of my sins, but wash me from my iniquity"? What does yeah. that mean to wash? Because I mean, there's forgiveness of sins is something that seems throughout the Bible you, you ask for forgiveness, but there's iniquity that seems to almost like he's saying, "Wash me from my iniquity." I mean, right. is there any relevance to anything like that in genetic studies to washing this out? Um, for me personally, in the first week of this whole understanding that it was iniquity that was generational, that was one of the verses that I, that I saw, because what David is describing there when he says, cleanse me of my sins, it's the idea of a spot remover. You drop it on and it is instantaneous. It's first John one, nine. When we confess our sins, it, it is instant forgiveness and restoration with the Father. But David, and it's, it's, it's repeated twice in that psalm, David says, wash me, and that's process. And I, I you know, as a layman, I, I can't speak to the actual biomechanics of what's happening within us, but it at, at the very least, it gives us a, um, 
a whole new level of understanding when Paul talks about the renewing of the mind. Because it's, it's, it's the power of the word within us as it's applied by the Holy Spirit that is slowly in process washing that out. Um, I think you and I talked about the example, it's the, it's the crucible with the ore in it, and you put the Bunsen burner under it, and you keep heating it until it melts, and then you're, you skim off the dross, and you keep taking off the dross until finally, if you're a silversmith, the, the test was when you can see your image in the silver, you now you know you got all the dross out. Okay, so I really do also think that this also relates to what I've been talking about recently. The whole concept of binding and loosing, this relates to this and that it's a process and that this isn't something that, yeah, God can deliver you fully and totally. And a lot of people do get deliverance like that, like when they get saved regarding maybe a particular matter. But normally there's other stuff though. We're going to battle the flesh. We're going to battle sin issues until the day we die. Um, <clears throat> the Bible talks about if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that, yes, we should strive for um, spiritual perfection. But, you know, even Paul said in, in, in the New Testament, Oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. Who should deliver me from the body of this death? The things that I shouldn't do, that I do. And the things that I should do, that I don't do. So that doesn't give us a license to sin, but it's just something that we are going to battle because we're in a sin-infested world, essentially. And to bring the body into subjection, and, and I mean, this is a constant, everyday battle. Um, so there's a lot of different aspects to this, I believe. You've got, and, and they don't really get into the, they're getting into more how this is manifesting from an epigenetic level. They're not really getting into the deliverance aspect of casting out demons and devils that would go hand in hand with a generational curse, I believe. you know. Um, so the whole concept of binding and loosing, I'll probably go ahead and post that study um, in the PDF for this and then a couple sample prayers just to give you an idea of how you can pray about these types of things. And again, this isn't an exhaustive study. I'm trying to give you some general ideas of how to deal with this, but there's a lot of aspects to it. And like they said, with, with the study of epigenetics, we're just really scratching the surface here as far as knowing all about this particular subject. And it almost has to be a renew, just a complete renewal, reset of the software. You know, in a lot of cases, I know that, you know, that, that hard turn has always been something that's been ever present in my life because from an early age, I was a rebellious child. Um, I grew up in a pretty, pretty decent home. My father kind of broke the cycle in my family, uh, broke the, he, he kind of was, I guess, he became a believer. There was a lot of uh, a lot of occultists, and his father was an alcoholic. Uh, his father father was a pretty bad man. And, and on my mother's side, 
her dad was a very bad man. Both of them alcoholics, both of them um, pretty evil, uh, especially my mother's father. And I, from the early age, I felt this strong pull. I mean, I ended up getting involved in crime and drugs and all these crazy things. Um, so I definitely know what you're talking about. It's not, the, and I didn't have an environment that would would normally produce that kind of thing. It's not like I grew up in a crack house or I grew up in, you know, yeah. in an environment that was just completely wicked. I grew up in a pretty good environment with my parents, but there was something something that just pulled me to want to do these things and just I really had a strong pull towards it and uh, thankfully seven years ago um, there was almost a reset in my mind and this was it was interesting because it happened it happened almost instantly I mean there was a little bit of refining that had to be done throughout the years and even even now to this day I feel like that if you know if um, you know there's certain things that I have to keep myself far away from I have to keep myself way away from just to just to stay away from it. And um, so it's, it's interesting because, you know, you look at people like I have friends that I have friends that are, you know, in and out of crime their entire lives, never can seem to catch a break, never can seem to stay away from it, no matter how much they want to. It's just not there. And so it makes me wonder, you know, how many of these people are genetically predisposed to this type of lifestyle, and this type of behavior. And uh, it seems to even the people that believe that this that tend to come to the Messiah, some of them can't shake it. Still, they end up back in prison. They end up all these yep. different things. Yeah, and I, you know, I at at an important level, I'm a data guy. You know, show me the numbers, show me the data, and <clears throat> give me enough data. You know, I'll build up to get to the principles. That's that's the way God has wired me. I would I would. Um, I would be careful to say it's not it's not the genetics because now we have to separate these terms. The genetics would be the DNA, the the epigenes, in in the various kinds of epigenes, and the way the software appears to be working and gets constructed. Again, keep in mind we're starting from a single cell. And we're producing our who we who we are. Um, so it's you know we've been we've been looking for the alcoholism gene for sixty years, and we cannot find it. And at the well, end of the two thousand seven October Ghost in Your Genes program. Now I do believe yes, there's this epigenetic component, and again we we're just scratching the surface, so that may be a big reason why they haven't found it. But there's also a demonic component which you cannot see, and that's what they're really not talking about here, and that's why I feel like that I need to add in what I'm going to add in a little bit later on this from the spiritual component standpoint. And maybe that 5-DVD set gets into that more that they have talked about, or the 6-DVD set, whatever. Uh, but I think you've got to look at it all together. And then you also need to look at, you know, from a what are you putting into your body standpoint, from a physical standpoint. Because there's, uh, there's so many little facets to this. Um, but you'll never see a demon. <laughs> so... Um, I wish they would have kind of addressed that more, that that part of it. But again, this is a fairly relatively new 
um, field, and I don't think there's a lot of Christian ministries that are really delving into this as of yet, uh, other than maybe um, this one and maybe some others. But The moderator towards the end makes that observation that while they've been looking for, for this gene for years and can't find it, it was the realization that it's not in the DNA. It's somehow in the software. So Nate, let me let me ask you this: since we, you know, we were talking about David as an example, praying about uh, being cleansed of his iniquities, as well as uh, forgiven for his sins, washed of his iniquity. Sorry, washed of his iniquities. <laughs> um, so, have you done any studies on David and when he prayed this prayer, and then when all these events happened around him? Because I know the timeline in Scripture isn't always uh, in a linear. You know, now, David was a man after God's own heart, and David messed up. I mean, messed up massively, you know? Um, what he did to the Uriah, the, the Hittite, you know, <laughs> sending him into battle and then drawing his troops back. So Uriah, I mean, this is a guy that was so beyond devoted to David, would die for him. I mean, and just because he was trying to, uh, you know, hide his hide what he had done with Bathsheba. I mean, that is massive what he did there. Yet, when it was all said and done, God considered him a man after God's own heart. And he knew how to humble himself. And I think that was one of the keys with David. And this is why I always go back to humility. Because I really do believe God can guide and direct a humble person, no matter how bad they've messed up. If you're humble before God, it's one of the few things I think you can do before God to actually please Him. Because we should always maintain that humble attitude. You know, to consider the pit from once we were dug, that type of thing. And I, I really believe that's a big, gigantic reason why God, He was so beloved of God, is His humility toward God. As bad as He had messed up, you know, He was still considered that by, by God. And so... Um, we should look to the way that David prays in the Psalms um, in regard to some templates for us on how to pray. You know, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've emphasized a lot with Psalm 64 and there's Psalm 91. And these are, these are imprecatory prayers. And again, it's not because you want to see wicked people be destroyed. It's more so, I believe, when you pray those prayers, you're praying them in the sense of dealing with the devils and the demons and the fallen angels that are behind the wicked people, that are actually motivating them, that are actually empowering them. That those devils and demons and fallen angels be dealt with. Because that's really what our, where our battle is, right? Anyway, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes and principalities and rulers of wickedness and these types of things. So... Um, I really think David had a ton of insight and he also had a, a, a ton of insight in regard to praying and um, humility and how to humble ourselves when we pray. So I think that's what they're emphasizing here a lot as well. And in order to freeing ourselves, but they're going to also talk about, and I don't know if they're going to get into it as much here, I, I think maybe toward the end here, regarding praying for 
the iniquities of the forefathers as well. Okay, that's another component that David did that I don't really believe is emphasized really hardly at all in modern day Christianity. Um, praying, you know, over the land, in, in praying regarding the iniquity of the forefathers and the transgressions of the forefathers and how that can also break the yoke, this, this satanic yoke or these, these ways that people are bound up. You can pray this for other people. And this goes back to the whole binding and loosing thing, which is a scriptural principle in the Bible. I mean, Jesus gave us that authority. But again, it's not, you know, it's, it's emphasized a lot in Charismatic and Pentecostal, but they're, they're so far off most of the time in left field chasing fly balls that you can't really go to them to get sound doctrine. Okay, so uh, it's something you have to be careful about. But it is scriptural. There is scriptural precedent for it. And hopefully I'm trying to, you know, like point you all in the right direction here regarding these subjects. But it's, there's a lot to this, as you can see. There's a, there's a lot to what we're talking about today. Like in a, in a straightforward order, sometimes it's out of order. So I was just curious if you had done any research to see, okay, David prayed this prayer uh, for, the, for having, um, being washed of the iniquities. But yet a lot of this stuff that he did still came down in the next generation. So... Uh, just give us a little bit of feedback on that, what you think might be going on there, and maybe, I don't know, just what's your thoughts? Um, more more thought than research, because um, you clearly see that as it flowed down with the children and then with Solomon's son and the kingdom ultimately divided. I mean, th there there were consequences that um, were not reversed, and yet God says of David, he was a man after his own heart. Now, I think the reason for that, what he was talking about, is that here's the bottom line: if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Okay, the Bible is very very clear in that. Psalm eleven, verse three. Um, once David made the transgression with Uriah, the Hittite, and put him in a battle, Uriah got killed, he could be a Bathsheba, he thought his sin was covered, then it was found out, he was exposed, he repented. Um, the problem is, is yeah, he repented, but he had already committed this massive, massive sin. There was going to have to be a price paid. In that particular case, the first thing that happened was their child died. Okay, He fasted and prayed. didn't matter. The foundation of the whole thing that happened with Bathsheba was just corrupt and bad and no good. Bad, bad, bad. Okay, Nothing was going to change that. He could have prayed about that till the cows come home. There is no way that God could have actually blessed that. It would it just would have been totally against the nature of God to bless such a corrupt, such a thing that had had such a corrupt beginning. Again, the foundation. And I, I, I truly believe that this is the reason that he had all of these problems with his sons later. Absalom, I mean, I mean, come on. Absalom, I mean, having... 
<laughs> sex with your dad's concubines in the sight of all men and stealing the hearts of the of israel and he almost stole the kingdom and then his son gets killed and and all of this stuff the thing is is that all got set in motion with the thing with Bathsheba and uriah and in this illicit relationship this adulterous relationship no amount of prayer was ever going to just make that all nice jim dandy in other words you reap what you sow okay yes was it right for him to pray about it was it right for him yeah absolutely but <laughs> it was only going to get rectified so far it had a corrupt beginning okay that there was a going to be a tremendous price to pay no matter what now it might have been a lot worse had he not prayed had he not humbled himself in fact, you know, it could have been a whole lot worse. He could have been killed by Absalom in, you know, only Lord knows what. And then and then you look at, you know, Solomon. And as bad as a problem as David had with women, look at what Solomon. I mean, Solomon had, what, a thousand, between a thousand, um, his concubines and his wife's so about a thousand in there. And they, they drew his heart away. And he went and worshipped, and he did after they did, and he worshipped the gods of Chemosh and Moloch, and that was child sacrifice. I mean, God forbid he ever participated in that, but that's kind of the impression you get reading the Bible with what Solomon got into. Well, as bad of a problem as David had with women, Solomon was way worse. Well, when you plant a seed, um the seed always bears much more fruit than the seed itself. In other words, a seed can grow up into a big tree, which is a lot bigger than the original seed. So that was a good example of, of you know, David's sin being passed on to, his, on to his son and then that, him having an even way worse problem. And in getting, I mean, David never participated, David never worshipped Moloch and Chemosh and, and he didn't, you know, let his wives draw his heart away from god and worship other gods and and i do believe there's there's scriptural indications in the bible that that solomon came back to god in the end uh but it was probably through much tribulation through through much chastening of god so there's this price to pay no matter what you do i've learned this with my own life you know i messed up a lot when i was younger and in the marriage i was in and then even afterward and i've paid a tremendous price for that and most of the um a lot of that time i was a christian doesn't mean you still don't reap what you sow you know doesn't mean that <laughs> in fact if you're god's he's going to chasten you and you're going to get it even worse because of whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. So, I believe as a Christian, you're going to get it even worse if you mess up once you're a Christian. Because God's going to chasten you. And if you don't get chastened, and if you have no conscience about this, and you can just go and sin and go your merry way and do whatever you want, then you're not saved. Because the Holy, how is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit supposedly lives inside you. He's going to convict you of these things and you're not going to continually habitually do them i'm not saying that we live in sinless perfection and we go around you know whatever striving for that yes is one thing but i'm talking about you know um 
somebody that thinks that they're going to walk around in, in absolute total sinless perfection 24-7, and, and then you get into the whole, there are people that believe that, and then you get into the whole holier-than-thou, um, you know, sanctimonious, pious type of people that think that they literally don't sin at all. And they are out there. They are out there. Um, <laughs> I've heard of stories of <laughs> several, actually, of guys that, men that said, oh, I haven't sinned in, you know, 14 years or 25 or whatever years. And then, you know, they'll do that and then they'll go home and beat their wife and and still say they're not sinning. <laughs> I'm not lying. And that's not funny, but I mean, they, they're, they're that delusional. Now, when you get into that, you're getting into they're so blinded with pride that they can't see straight and they think they can go beat their wife and still be living in sinless perfection. So again, you got to really guard against pride <laughs> because pride will blind you. Pride is the worst sin if you ask me because it totally blinds you to that you're even that you even have a problem. It blinds you to your own sin. It did to Satan. And it was literally the first sin talked about in the Bible when Satan, because of his beauty and because of his merchandise, Lucifer was lifted up, and then he, he looked to the throne of God and said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the sides of the north. You know, He was going to usurp God and get him off the throne. He was that full of himself and full of pride that he literally thought that. And he, and he literally thought there was nothing wrong with it, obviously. You know, So, again, this is a really complex subject we're dealing with here. But, I, you know, the other side of that, um, I mean, I can I can summarize my story in one sentence. The father pursues, protects, redeems and restores. And I have I have I have lots of threads of that happening in my story. And again, that, that goes along with the whole whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. You know, and so he's going to pursue you. It's like the prodigal son type of thing. And and this may take decades. Like in this gentleman's particular instance, he didn't realize all the stuff till he was like 60. You know, and, and it took that long for all of this to, I guess, come to a head and to come out and all of this buried and repressed stuff that must have been going on. That was just like this undercurrent in his life that he was like struggling against that, that he knew was kind of there, but he didn't really want to admit it. And, you know, so God's timing is not our timing. And a lot of times we would just want to think, okay, wave the magic wand and make it all go away. And it just, so much of the time it doesn't work that way. It's a process and it takes time. And sometimes it takes decades for God to work these things out and for God to, you know, maybe deliver somebody. From, from these types of things. Um, but there are things that are, there are consequences. Um, I, you know, when I was in Des Moines, um, I, had a, I had a friend who had come to faith in Christ late in life, but he was a severe alcoholic and he died of, of, of uh, liver failure. And I was with him all the way, you know, at the hospital uh, to the moment he, that he went to glory. Um, it, was a, it was a tough way to go. 
Um, and yet God used the last year of his life to bring, to bring a lot of guys to Christ. So even if there are consequences, even, even in that, uh, God still turns it for good. Amen. So I guess kind of what you're saying is then that, uh, when someone asks for their iniquities to be washed, it's also the generation down that needs to be doing that in every generation, essentially, that needs to be doing that because there's a lot that happened before maybe that prayer occurred, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I spent, I spent a lot of time in was Daniel 9. That's a great prayer that, that Daniel has there in, in chapter 9, and he gets interrupted when Gabriel now we're going to be looking at that next in the next part here because I'm going to have to end this after this part but we're going to be looking extensively at that and just running through that to give you some more templates of things that you can do in your own life Daniel um, beloved man of God according to Gabriel David a man after God's own heart so these are people that I mean God doesn't say that about a lot of people Okay, so if there are people in the Bible that are beloved of God, and it says that, and it doesn't say that hardly any other places about other people, not to say that God doesn't love us, but they go out of their way to actually note that in Scripture. David, a man after God's own heart. Well, okay, shouldn't we be like looking at their writings in the Bible to kind of see maybe, okay, what were they doing that was endearing them to God so much. And, and a lot of it boils down to their prayer life and to their humility is really what I can identify. Uh, and using that as a template for our own lives and our own prayer lives. Bill comes and tells him that, you know, we, your prayer was heard from day one but there was spiritual warfare going on and it was 21 days and then Gabriel, Gabriel arrives. And he was doing a Daniel fast. He was doing a partial fast for 21 days where he was, you know, eating, he was cutting out certain food groups, but it took 21 days for Gabriel to arrive because he was being resisted, I believe by the Prince of Persia, this uh, fallen and angelic entity over that region. And it took 21 days to break through to get to Daniel to actually give him the answer to the prayer that's what he's in reference to you look at the beginning of that chapter daniel had understood from reading the word from reading jeremiah that the captivity was going to was going to be 70 years and that it was about to end and when you when you look at what jeremiah was saying i think it's chapter 25 Jeremiah is actually quoting from Leviticus 26. And that's the blessings and curses chapter in, Levit in Leviticus. So there's a whole series of blessings. And then there's, there's this progressive uh, um, uh, layering of, of pestilence and famine and, and sword, and then ultimately, I think the sixth one is they would be dispossessed from, from the land. But starting in verse 40, the basic thought there is that if you, if you find yourself you know, dispossessed and in captivity, 
then God says, you know, if you if you accept the um, the in the King James, I think it's the punishment of your iniquity and the iniquity of the fathers, then I will intervene. And so there's you find that's a consistent pattern where God injects hope. So when you look at Daniel's prayer, when he starts that prayer, um, he's confessing not only his sins and the sins of the people, but he's also confessing, and there's that in the King James, you see it more clearly, it's the iniquity of the fathers. And that goes clear back to Leviticus 26. I mean, there's something that God the whole, and the Holy Spirit does when you own the consequences that have come down, even though, you know, I, um, you know, my dad was not an alcoholic. There was no alcohol in the home, um, but I, I saw the pattern. Um, we have stories of my dad um, that when he came to faith, um, I mean, in an instant, as as John was just commenting, the foul mouth and a, and the apparent terrible temper that my dad had were gone and the guys in the shop at work were talking about it what happened to Floyd but at the same time my dad struggled um, in in many of the classic ways um, um, lack of self-esteem um, um, struggle to express himself in, in any kind of group setting. Um, he was an incredibly good Bible student. Um, I mean, family joke was dad wore out a strong concordance. Um, um, so there were, there were aspects, you know, in the family line that, you know, I was recognizing some of that just in my own struggles. Okay, so he brings up a good point and I kind of touched on this earlier, where somebody that gets saved, sometimes you'll, you'll hear these stories about, yeah, <clears throat> drug addict gets saved, comes up, brings his heroin kit, gets saved, literally delivered that night, no withdrawal, no nothing. He is totally delivered, lock, stock, and barrel, didn't even go through withdrawal, okay? You've heard those stories probably, but that's not always the way it goes, it can happen, but it may not. And that's really up to God. Uh, you can have, but then even, even in his dad's thing, he got delivered of foul mouth and temper. The moment he got saved, but yet his whole life he struggled with other things. There's always going to be things that we battle in the flesh, in other words, even after we get saved. Now, but you may get total deliverance right then and there, lock, stock, and barrel from certain things. But it's not cookie cutter, and, and there's no way to really predict how that may all work out. But that it is a good example to, to kind of understand that. Um, somebody's conversion may be very, very different than others, in, in other words, is I guess what we're trying to say here. You know, uh, one thing that there's hope for a lot of this stuff, and I think it all boils down to decision on our parts as well to to really want to be righteous and, and to and to do 
do his decrees. I know Ed Taylor brought up an interesting verse that, that really kind of brings that to light. In Ezekiel 18, 19, it says, Yet you ask, why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since And this is the answer. Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. So just like your father had a reset, he decided, he made a decision, you know, and he decided to live, that there was that reset there. And I think that that's, that's important for people to really want to, to change. I mean, because with me, I had to, I had to give up. I had to say, father, if you're real, I will follow you and I will do everything you ask me to do everything. It's not just like, Oh, I believe you exist, you know, amen. It was like, I'm going to do everything that you asked me to do. I'm not going to do my own way anymore. I'm going to look at your scripture. I'm going to do what it tells me to do. Your word's going to light my path. And there was a reset with me. But it's important, I think, to be able to pray for the next generation, pray for my sons, because they would be the third generation for my grandfathers that were alcoholics. They would be this first. I'd, my father would be the first. I'd be the second. My sons are the third. It's important to know to pray for your children for this curse, this family curse, and to and to stop them from people who want to say, oh, there's no such thing as a family curse. Jesus breaks that line. He might break it for you, but, you know, you have to, you, there's still nothing wrong with praying for your children and putting, just praying blessings over their, their life and blessings over them, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. Now that goes, it, this goes on for another, oh my, 45 minutes. And I, I don't, I've already played way more than I normally play for a study. Um, as far as for one part. So I'm going to go ahead and end part one there. We're going to cover some scripture uh, in the next part of, of what he was alluding to. And then we're going to get, and then also some practical things you can do from a scriptural, spiritual standpoint. And then we're going to get into more the uh, epigenetic, how then we're looking at this from a more of a nutritional standpoint. How what you're putting in your body specifically is also turning these switches on off up regulating or down regulating as far as what foods you're putting in uh or what you know liquids or foods or you know these types of things so i'm going to go ahead and end part one here and we will go to part two next god bless you Scott Johnson's 1,000-plus audio teachings and PDF documents are available for free 24-7 on the Internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H.com. In addition, we also offer a free Christian Current Event and Health email newsletter. You can sign up at contendingfortruth.com. These email newsletters typically only generate about three to six emails per month if you subscribe to both lists. Please prayerfully help us to continue this work. For mail correspondence or to support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2359 Highway 70, Southeast, number 321, Hickory, NC, 28602. Or on the internet, a PayPal donation link can be found at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.